A Manhattan art gallery owner was apparently beaten for walking down the streets of New York in a MAGA hat. The news networks black out the story, but they make sure to spend lots of time covering the possibility that Trump supporters at a Trump rally might chant, send her back. We examine why people hate the press. Then Elijah Cummings has his house broken into just hours before Trump tweets about the dangers of living in Baltimore. Is Trump summoning some sort of dark psychic force to predict the future? No. But we'll examine his simple trick for prediction. Finally, the mailbag. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. By the way, we have breaking news coming out. The American rapper ASAP Rocky, who is being held in a Swedish jail, has now been released. He's on his way back to the United States. President Trump just tweeted about it, quote, ASAP Rocky released from prison and on his way home to the U.S. from Sweden. It was a rocky week. Get home ASAP. ASAP. (laughs) Uh, He tweeted about this. Uh, Trump has been central in this story because when ASAP Rocky was first held in this jail, he had some of his pals, his mutual friends with the president, like Kanye West, call up Trump and say, please help get ASAP Rocky out of out of the jail. Trump made a big issue about this uh, behind the scenes to the Swedish government. Then he tweeted about it to the Swedish prime minister. Then he had a phone call with the Swedish prime minister. The Swedish prime minister said no. Trump didn't take no for an answer. Now ASAP Rocky is coming home. This is a great story all around. And because I think I can predict the future, or at least it seems that way, it ties in perfectly with our theme today. President Trump's crystal ball, why it seems like he can just predict the future. He says that uh, Elijah Cummings uh, and, and Baltimore is a terrible place. He says, you know, it's rat infested, it's ridden with crime. And unbeknownst to anybody, just hours earlier, Elijah Cummings' house had been broken into in Baltimore. What is that about? It all has to do with ideology. That's what it all boils down to. We'll get to that in a second. But first, I have got to thank my friends over at ExpressVPN. You know me. I'm on the internet all the time. I'm not just browsing. I'm literally on the internet. It's practically where I live. You are too. That means that our precious data are just out there for everybody to take. And I know what you're thinking because I used to think this. Nobody wants my data. Oh, what about me? Nobody's going to try to get my data. BS. Everyone is trying to get your data. There's a lot of stuff that you don't want to get out. Your financial information, your personal emails, all those weird websites that you've been looking at on the incognito browser tab. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about dailywire.com. You know that you've got to protect your data. So ExpressVPN runs in the background of your computer or phone. Then you just use the internet like you normally would. You download the app, you click to connect, Voila, you're protected. That's it. You don't need to think about it again. ExpressVPN costs less than seven bucks a month. Think about what you spend seven bucks a month on. Think about the frivolous nonsense that you don't need that you spend seven bucks. You could spend seven bucks on like one and a half cups of coffee. Protect your privacy. Your whole life is on the internet practically these days. ExpressVPN uses cutting edge technology called Trusted Server to make sure there are no logs of what you do online. Protect your online activity today. Find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Michael. E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, for three months free with a one-year package. Expressvpn.com slash Michael to learn more. Can President Trump predict the future? Does he have a Marianne Williamson-esque crystal ball where he summons the dark psychic forces and sees into the future? No, but it sometimes seems like it is. 
And there's a very simple reason for this. The reason is ideology. The, a great, here's a great example of it that actually doesn't directly involve Trump. The mainstream media. So the mainstream media, they're like the counterexample. The, uh, Trump can, looks like he can predict the future. The mainstream media can't see the present. They can't even see the past. They distort history. They distort what's going on in the present. They're totally blind to what's going on because of ideology. Here's the story. A Manhattan art gallery owner says that he was beaten by a bunch of thugs in the streets for wearing a MAGA hat. So he's got his red hat on, make America great again. Because I know the mainstream media will immediately assume it was a white guy, not a white guy. I don't know what his ethnicity is, but he certainly isn't a white guy. He's walking around Chinatown and this guy has a big shiner on his eye. Here's his side of the story. Wearing this hat, started cursing at me, Trump hat, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, basically, one kid took my head and bashed it against the scaffolding pole. It all happened within 10 seconds. I jumped out, crossed the street, and I called the cops. And this is my situation right now. Okay, no reason not to believe this guy. He's got a pretty brutal, gory shiner on his eye and his cheek. His whole, whole left side of his face is swollen up with blood. His eye is basically swollen shut. And I'm not surprised. We've seen attacks like this before in the, the U.S. I mean, now, look, e- even I, when I go out and if I've got my MAGA hat on, I look around me because, because the left can be extremely violent. I was assaulted at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. Andy No actually got really physically hurt. People were throwing things at him, punching him. So this thing does happen. We've seen it happen on camera before. It looks like we're seeing it happen on camera again. Two law enforcement sources said, they're a little skeptical that it was a a huge group of people doing it. They think it might have just been a one-on-one brawl and the guy uh, declined medical attention on the scene. He went later to get medical attention. He was diagnosed with a bone fracture. So the guy's kind of broke his face up a little bit. Guess how much coverage this got on the network news? Boop, zero, none, none whatsoever. And the reason I I keep using this term allegedly, apparently, it looks like, is, I I don't know, I guess there's a small possibility that this was a hoax. I don't know what kind of hoax it would be where a guy breaks half of his face, but let's say it is. Compare this to an actual hoax in the case of Jesse Smollett, right? Jesse Smollett had exactly the opposite story, that he was walking down the street and two guys in MAGA hats came up to him and said, hey, Empire, because of because someone's going to recognize Jesse Smollett on the street. Give me a break. Said, hey, Empire, this is MAGA country in South Central Chicago. Yeah, okay. Definitely, guys, for sure. And turns out the story totally fell apart. He paid his two trainers to come and beat him up. They were two Nigerian white supremacists, I guess. And it was just total nonsense, and he didn't have any actual injuries. The mainstream media, the network news, covered that story breathlessly. So the total fake story gets weeks of coverage. The apparently, from all we know, from all we can see, real story of an attack from leftists on a Trump supporter, no network news coverage at all. Why is that? It's because the fake story fit their fake ideological narrative. And the real story didn't fit their narrative. And because the real story didn't fit their narrative, they didn't cover it. Because they privilege their ideology over the reality of what is in front of them. If you went to the mainstream media and and left-wing politicians and you said, hey, what are you going to believe? 
the, the leftist narrative, the story that has been circulating all around the mainstream press for the last two weeks, or your own lion eyes, what are you going to believe? What is right in front of you or the stories that you've all been telling each other, you know that they would pick the stories. They privilege their ideology over reality. Nowhere is this clearer than in the, the transgender debate. I mean, the transgender debate, which affects very few people in a physical and psychological way, has become this dominant major political story. A, a very prominent TV host might lose his job because he said that we shouldn't uh, pump three-year-olds full of hormones and mutilate their bodies. We'll get to that story by, by the end of the show, but I, I bring it up now to point out between the ideology of transgenderism and the physical reality of, obviously, this man is a man, obviously, this woman is a woman, the left is choosing the ideology, the fantasy, the delusion, the narrative. So instead of covering the actual attack that happened, the networks were covering the possibility that Trump supporters might chant, send her back at the rally last night. So Trump was holding this rally last night. NBC goes out. They ask the president, what will happen if if the your supporters chant, send her back? No evidence that it's going to happen. Trump disavowed it after the last time, the first time that it happened. It, there's no evidence of that, but that's the story they're covering. Here's NBC. Here's Trump's response. Mr. President, in Cincinnati at your rally tonight, are you prepared to tell your supporters to stop if they begin chanting something problematic? I don't know what's going to happen. I can tell you this. I'm going to Cincinnati. The arena is a very large one, and we've sold it out. We could sell it out probably 10 times from what I hear. The, uh, the applications for seats, as you know, never had an empty seat. The applications are very big. I have no idea. We have a great group of people. They love our country. They love the job we're doing. There it is, right? It's all, it's all hypothetical. Will this happen tonight? What will you do if this does happen? What would it be like if this were to happen? They're not covering a real story. They covered the real story last time at, at that one rally where some people briefly chanted, send her back, send her back. They covered it the next day. Trump said, I didn't like it. I wish they didn't do it. I don't think it's a good thing. I hope they don't do it again. So perfectly legitimate for them to cover it then. Great response from Trump. That's it. Now they're covering a hypothetical story to President Trump. And they keep hammering it. They keep asking, well, do you have a message? What are you going to say to them? What do you think? And Trump has an excellent answer here. Do you have a message, you have a message for them now, like before they go I in? do have a message. My message is for the people I'm going to. So we had over 100,000 applications for whatever the size of the, I think it's a 14,000 seat arena. But we're way over 100 and I think 122,000 applications for those seats. Uh, you know what my message is? I love them. And I think they love me. I actually think they love me. Nailed it. Totally nailed it. That's the answer. I love, that's my message for them. I love them. This is the difference in the campaign. This is actually the Marianne Williamson principle. Marianne talking about love and the battlefield of love. She actually gets this. Love is an important part of politics. Love really is the basis of politics love of country, love of your community, love of your family, love of your extended national family. That's the basis of politics. Love of your ancestors, love of your children, love of your traditions, love of what's going to come in a few generations. This sums up different approaches of the left and the right to politics. 
you know, the left leaps to condemn. The left would always just, con- I condemn this. I disavow this. I hate this. I hate the past. I hate the future. I hate the present. I hate George Washington. I hate America. I hate all of it. I condemn everything. I want to tear down statues. The right doesn't leap to condemn. The right wants to improve. We all want to improve. Obviously, there are plenty of imperfect things. This is an imperfect world. You want to improve, but you want to start it from a place of love. You can see this in the academy, in the universities. The universities are a crystal ball. They're the future of the country. You you look at the university, 20 years from now, that's what you're going to get as your country. And the universities did this in the 1970s. It's really coming to fruition now. They uh, began indoctrinating students in curricula of critical theory is what it's called. What Harold Bloom, the literary critic, called it is the school of resentment. So the the prior approach to reading a piece of literature or looking at some text is you come from it loving it. You, You enjoy it. You want to learn from it. You want to gain wisdom from it. You want it to and maybe entertain you, maybe edify you, maybe enlighten you. But that's the, the act of reading is, comes from that place of love. It's an enjoyment. It's a pleasure. What the school of resentment does is you, you totally flip that on its head. So instead of opening up, I don't know, I'll use an example actually from that literary critic, Harold Bloom. Instead of opening up Walt Whitman, great American poet, kind of the American poet, one of them, Uh, You open up Leaves of Grass and you say, what can I learn from Walt Whitman? What does this poem tell me about America? Instead, you open it up and you say, how is this guy a racist? How is this guy a sexist? How much better am I than this guy? I hate this guy. How wrong was he? That's the school of resentment. Harold Bloom actually one time in an an interview, I believe with the Paris Review, uh, said that a graduate student came into his class and said, we just had an American studies lecture for two hours about how Walt Whitman is a racist. That, that is the different approach. You can approach it from, from love or you can approach it from resentment. The, the left approaches from resentment. And I think that's fueling a lot of the backlash against elites in the media and elites in politics. And what it's really fueling is President Trump's crystal ball. What it's really fueling is President Trump's uncanny ability to predict, predict things. He's not predicting anything. It's just that the resentful left is getting it all wrong. The ideological left is getting it all wrong. We'll see how that plays out. We'll see what that means, by the way, for international politics. First, I've got to thank our friends over at Quicken Loans. Support for The Michael Knowles Show comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Finding the right house is not easy. I live in Los Angeles. It's impossible to find the right house here because the minute you do, you realize it costs $7 trillion and they're going to add a heap of property tax. It's just, it's just awful here. The good thing is that once I do find that home of my dreams, I know that the mortgage process is going to be made very easy because we've got the team of mortgage experts at Quicken Loans. They are obsessed with finding a better way. They have industry-leaning online lending technology developed in the heart of Detroit, Rocket Mortgage is changing the game. They make the, pro- the home buying process work for you. It's there with award-winning client service and support every step of the way. This is why Quicken Loans has ranked highest in customer satisfaction for primary mortgage origination nine years in a row and highest in mortgage servicing five years in a row. Look, I, it's a very awful, complicated process in general to buy a house. Quicken Loans is the best. They are going to make it easy for you. This is one of the most important decisions you're ever going to make. Use the best to get it done. Get started online at rocketmortgage.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. 
Equal Housing Lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLSConsumerAccess.org, number 3030, Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, push button, get mortgage. This is what is fueling uh, a lot of the resentment against the elites of both parties and the media, etc. It's, it's this feeling that they hate the American people. You know, uh, my friend Elena Plott over at The Atlantic just has a piece out today. Uh, and she was covering this Trump rally. And she said, the big takeaway is these Americans don't want to be called racist all the time. They don't want to be called deplorable. They don't want to be called irredeemable. They're not racist. You know, she interviews one grandmother who says, she goes, look, I have 10 grandkids. Two of them are black. One of them's biracial. One of them's this, one's that. You know, I don't, I'm not a racist. I just like my country. I love my country and I don't, I don't want to be smeared all the time by people in office and, and people who are in the media. Perfectly fair point. But the, the, because the left, because the media really are filled with this resentment at the people of this country, at the country itself, at the history of this country, at the institutions in this country, they have to cover the hypothetical mean chant over the actual attack on a Trump supporter. They have to cover it. They, they, they would much rather cover that because that confirms their narrative that America's really xenophobic, nativist, bigoted, awful, terrible place. They would much rather cover that than an attack on a Trump supporter. What is the, what is the story of the attack on the Trump supporter show? Now, maybe the conservatives aren't fascists. Maybe the conservatives aren't hopelessly racist. Maybe actually they've been misrepresented by the media. Maybe they just want to, as the hat says, make America great again. Maybe there's a little violence from the left. Maybe the left is fueled by violence. Maybe some Trump supporters are being attacked. Maybe everybody needs to calm down a little bit. Maybe people need to stop portraying Trump as Hitler. That can't be the case because they have their narrative in their head. So instead, it's all the hypothetical hypothetical. Trump is the force of darkness. He's evil. He's wicked. And the leftists are going to bring us out of that awful, awful America that we all know into that new utopia. They're going to, as President Obama used to say, fundamentally transform America. And why do they have to fundamentally transform it? Because America's rotten to the core. And so you've got to fundamentally transform it if you want to have a good country. Look, Politics is a contact sport, okay? And conservatives were very hard on Obama. I'm not saying they were, were not hard on Obama. But there is something different in the quality of the left's attacks on Trump and Trump supporters than there was in the attacks on conservative, from conservatives toward Obama. Listen to how Morning Joe describes President Trump at his rally. He actually reminded me, the, you, 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 you see the Austin Powers movies? Oh, yeah. Did you see the Austin Powers? Oh, yeah. yeah. He sort of reminded me at times like a fat bastard. At times he was like looking at the audience. <laughs> the character, the character. Yeah. It's a character. Yeah. It's a character in Austin Powers. And he's sniffing and he's looking around. He's like, thank you. Thank-. I thought he was going to say, get into my stomach yeah. at one point. Um, this is a guy. He is, as David Brooks said this morning in the New York Times, this is a guy is a force. Uh, and the only way the Democrats are going to beat him is with an equal force. The thing that last night's rally showed, and it was a great, I think, I think it was a, a, a great comparison with what the Democrats were doing. It showed that here was a guy that strutted across the stage. He, he, was, at being, he was being a demagogue, I would say Mussolini-like. 
just just picking at racial resentments constantly. He's a fat bastard, racist, fascist Mussolini. That's what he is, according to the very serious, very reasonable, and very civil voices who wear suits and ties over at MSNBC. That's what he is. He's a fat bastard, right? Imagine, imagine if a conservative on television, on Fox News, had made fun of Barack Obama's appearance. I don't know if Obama wasn't fat, but I don't know, made fun of his appearance in some way. Could you imagine the outcry? First of all, they'd be fired immediately, whichever commentator said that. Imagine, look, there was one time at a, at a rodeo in 2013 when a rodeo clown wore a mask of Obama and kind of danced around out there in the rodeo. He was instantly fired. Why? I still couldn't tell you. I don't know. You just weren't really allowed to make fun of Obama. Because anytime you said anything about Obama, you were called a racist and a bigot, even though it didn't have any basis in reality. This, we've talked in the last week and a half or two weeks, we've talked a lot about fantasy versus reality. Okay, and this is where, this is where you see in the media's awful behavior, in the left's awful behavior, you see why it, it appears that Donald Trump can predict the future. Because the fantasy is, the fantasy is that America is a terrible place populated by bigots and fascists that has only ever wrought evil in the world. In reality, the opposite is true. America is the most tolerant, the most equitable, the most just, the most prosperous, the most free country in history. That's not sentiment. That's not just my preference and love of America speaking. It's just a fact. Multi-ethnic, multi-ideological, all sorts of people, multi-religious, all together. We've become the biggest economy in the world, the only superpower left on earth. We've more or less still got self-government, more or less still are a republic, more or less still encourage freedom, personal freedom, freedom of property, freedom of movement. The reality is that America, like all countries, is imperfect, but it's a great place and, and Americans are great people. And that's something to feel good about. So that's something to love about it. And that is why Trump keeps getting stuff right. Because he's not blinded by this ridiculous ideology of the left that tells them to believe their own narrative over their lion eyes. Frankly, he's not even blinded by the various ideologies that have cropped up on the right. I mean, this was the big argument against him in 2016 is that he's not ideologically conservative. Beyond, I don't know that he's philosophically conservative. I, I doubt that he's ever read Edmund Burke or Michael Oakeshott or Russell Kirk. He hasn't been steeped in the conservative movement. He didn't spend all of the 90s and 2000s going to lunches at the various think tanks in Washington, D.C. He just sees what's in front of him. He can just see it. And that's why he tends to get things right. It's not that complicated. It's not 25 degree chess. He just has his eyes open and he's looking in front of him. And all of these other fools, some to the right of him, most of them to the left, are just totally blinded. They've got the blinders of their ideology and the blinders of their narrative on. And so they can't see what's right in front of them. So some people think he's Nostradamus. He's not. He just isn't blinding himself. And this cuts two ways, by the way. There's a, there's a mostly good side to this. There is some downside. There is some unpleasantness that comes from his uh, lack of a sort of philosophical or ideological formation. So the, the good side is, it looks like he can predict the future. You, you saw this in Baltimore, right? He points out how awful Baltimore is. Not 
doesn't, not that it's intrinsically awful, but it's been just destroyed by political corruption, Democrat led corruption in that city. It's, it's been neglected. It's, they've gone through what, three mayors in two years or something. And so Trump makes these comments. And then a few days later, it comes out that Congressman Elijah, Elijah Cummings, who was the object of Trump's ire there, he's the Baltimore congressman, had his house broken into. And his house wasn't broken into because Trump talked about him. His house had been broken into hours before Trump talked about him. The Baltimore PD came out and said this burglary took place at 3.40 a.m. on Saturday. Just hours later, Trump tweets about it. Is it because Trump is Nostradamus? No, it's because everyone knows how rundown Baltimore is, and they're all just now pretending it isn't because Trump Trump talked about how it is run down. Elijah Cummings himself used the same language to talk about Baltimore 20 years ago in 1999. Here he is. I left my community of Baltimore, a drug infested area, where a lot of the drugs that we're talking about today have already taken the lives of so many children. The same children that I watched 14 or 15 years ago as they grew up now walking around like zombies. This is only 40 miles away from here. So Sanders, Bernie Sanders used the same language about Baltimore. Mayor of Baltimore, Catherine Pugh used the same language. Congressman from Baltimore, Elijah Cummings used the same language. Now President Trump uses the same language. And so the left has to oppose him, but Trump got it right. Because guess what? They were all right about Baltimore. If you predict that somebody is going to get their house broken into in Baltimore, you're probably going to be right. Right? This is not, it's, it's a crime ridden city. So uh, yeah, obviously you're going to be right. So, and this is the, this is the politically beneficial side for Trump, not really having much ideology. I mean, the, the other, uh, ASAP Rocky is another example. The more ideological or philosophically formed presidents might say, well, we need to let the justice system play out there in Sweden. We can't use the bully pulpit of the United States to pressure a prime minister in Sweden to release ASAP Rocky. And Trump just says, yeah, okay, forget about all that. Hey, Sweden, let my guy go. Let him go right now or there's going to be hell to pay. Guess what happens? Within a week or two, they let the guy go. That's the plus side of not having that philosophical foundation. There is an ugly side to it. There is genuinely an ugly side. We'll get to that in a second. First, I've got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Then we'll get to the mailbag too, by the way. So go over to dailywire.com. 10 bucks a month, $100 for an annual membership. You get me, you get the Andrew Clavin show, you get the Ben Shapiro show, you get the Matt Walsh show, you get... Gosh, you get so much. You get another kingdom. You get to ask questions in the mailbag. You get backstage. You get the leftist tears tumbler. This is, mm, this is really good. This is, this is a nice uh, accompaniment to Trump's crystal ball because when you have those leftist tears, you just, you can predict how things are going to go. It just, it opens your mind, man. It's like some Marianne Williamson secret potion. I mean, it really opens your mind to the field of love. Make sure you go over there, get those leftist tears. We'll be right back with a lot more. Here's the ugly side to not having that philosophical and, or, or even perhaps ideological formation. Here's the, uh, the, the ugly side to just kind of seeing what's in front of you. President Trump just tweeted out not an hour ago, quote, Kim Jong-un in North Korea tested three short range missiles over the last number of days. These missile tests are not a violation of our signed Singapore agreement, nor was there discussion of short range missiles when we shook hands. There may be a UN violation, 
But Chairman Kim does not want to disappoint me with a violation of trust. There is far too much for North Korea to gain. The potential as a country under Kim Jong-un's leadership is unlimited. Also, there is far too much to lose. I may be wrong, but I believe that Chairman Kim has a great and beautiful vision for his country. And only the United States, with me as president, can make that vision come true. He will do the right thing because he is far too smart not to. And he does not want to disappoint his friend, President Trump. Where do I begin? <laughs> Obviously, most of this tweet, objectively speaking, is not true. I don't think Kim Jong-un has a beautiful vision for his country. I don't. He actually is probably pretty smart. He's been able to hold power in that country pretty well, even though he got power very young. So I guess he is pretty smart. I don't think he cares really about the friendship with Donald Trump. He may not want to disappoint Trump because he fears nuclear missiles landing in the uh, in North Korea. But what is this about? What is the, it's about, it's actually about the exact same thing. It's about seeing what's in front of you. President Trump is looking in front of him and he's seeing a, cur- a ongoing negotiation with North Korea to get them to denuclearize. And he's saying, okay, what can I do today that will make it more likely for Kim to denuclearize? Kim shot off a few short range missiles what can I do? Can I scream and yell about it? Is that going to help the negotiation? Can I not say anything about it? Is that going to help the negotiation? Or can I try to flatter Kim? Flatter and kind of threaten Kim. Is that going to help the negotiation? That's what this is about. Trump concluded, rightly or wrongly, that it was the latter course. That by flattering, by reminding Kim that they've got a good thing going on and that Trump is the only one who's given Kim an opening, that that is going to help the negotiation. He has one good point here. The one good point is what C.S. Lewis writes about in Screwtape Letters, which is that you can only act in the present. In the Screwtape Letters, which is this book, you know, it's a, a series of letters written from one demon to his nephew about destroying a human soul. And uh, the, the advice that the demon gives to his, his nephew is, always get people thinking about the future. And always get people thinking about the past. Don't let them think about the present because the present is the only place where you can actually act. It's the only place where you can make moral decisions. And it's a a really good insight. People, they harp so much on the future. We're not owed the future. The future is not, the future that we envision almost certainly will not be what the future really looks like. And we can't change the past. And people are mired in regret or they're mired in optimism for the future or daydreaming about the future or preparing to be disappointed about the future. Only in the present can you act, which is true. That's an important aspect. So President Trump is saying, we're in the present. I don't care what this is going to look like in history. I don't care what this means for the future. I'm just trying to move the ball down the field. However, this tactic strikes our ears as absolutely egregious because it's untrue. I mean, so the, you know, Kim Jong-un is like one of the worst people on the face of the earth, maybe one of the worst people in history. So ideally, what we would like is for you to be able to act in the present without this kind of flattery, without this kind of dishonesty, and without this kind of wishful thinking about Kim. This is the first time since Reagan that we've seen anything resembling this sort of behavior. And as always, Trump turns it up to 11. So with Reagan, you saw major overtures to the dictator of the Soviet Union, Gorbachev, who himself positioned himself as a reformer. And they'd go over there. I mean, at the Reykjavik summit, Reagan and Gorbachev were talking about abolishing all nuclear weapons. 
Meanwhile, Reagan's advisors are saying, what are you doing? Stop, don't, don't talk about that. But you saw a, a similar kind of impulse from Reagan. Reagan was working in the present. He, when, when that summit broke down, uh, according to sources in the room, Reagan said to Gorbachev, how could you do this to me? Very personal. You know, this is a personal relationship here. Trump is trying to establish that personal relationship. It's ugly to us. We don't want our president to have a personal relationship with Kim Jong-un because Kim Jong-un is one of the worst people on earth. Will this pay off? I don't know. It's, I don't think it's high risk for the reputation of the United States. I think whoever the next president is can do whatever he wants and change that relationship. It's very high risk for Trump. I mean, it, it's, he'll look like a real schmuck if nothing happens on this Korea thing. It's high risk to his reputation. But he's, he's willing to do it because he lives in the present. That is the advantage of his not being very ideological. And that is the sometimes ugly and unpleasant disadvantage of his not being ideological. But that's what it is. And that's why it looks like he can read into the future. I really wanted to get to this Mario Lopez story. This Mario Lopez story, the uh, guy from Extra and Access Hollywood, uh, he came out and said that uh, we shouldn't I'll, we'll, we'll just get to it. We'll narrow the mailbag down. I can't let this go. This story is so important. Here's Mario Lopez on the Candace Owens show talking about transgender children, so th- transgender three-year-olds. I'm never one to tell anyone how to parent their kids, obviously, and I think if you come from Maybe a place- Maybe you should, though, because you yeah. seem to be doing something <laughs> right. Well, thanks. You know, and I always say, if you come from a place of love, you, you know, you, you really can't go wrong, but at the same time, my God, if you're three years old and you're saying you're- Feeling a certain way, or you're, you're, you think you're a boy or a girl, whatever the case may be, I, I, I just think it's dangerous as a parent to make that determination. Then, okay, well, then you're going to be a boy or a girl, whatever the case may be, and it's it's sort of alarming. And my gosh, I just think about the repercussions later on. Right. You don't know anything about sexuality yet. You're you're just a kid, right? That is the most obvious and simple and restrained and, and moderate statement that you could possibly make on the subject. She says, well, I just think it's sort of like a little dangerous, you know, to, to mutilate your three-year-old child's genitals and put them on puberty-blocking hormones and shoot them full of chemicals that will fundamentally change their biochemistry. I just think maybe it's not a great idea. I just think maybe three-year-olds don't fully understand their sexuality. Three-year-olds, you sick perverts. Three-year-olds, they're doing this. And Mario Lopez says, you know, hey, maybe we shouldn't, we shouldn't sexualize three-year-olds. Most moderate statement in the world. Guess what? They're trying to fire him now. It's a big meeting at NBC, I guess it is, to, uh, to try to get him to lose his show. He, ha- he issued an apology really pathetic, but I guess, look, he's got, got a lot of kids, got to raise his family, don't want to lose all his money. Here's what Mario Lopez then said later, quote, the comments I made were ignorant and insensitive, and now I have a deeper understanding of how hurtful they were. I have been and always will be an ardent supporter of the LGBTQ community. I'm going to use this opportunity to better educate myself. Moving forward, I will be more informed and more thoughtful. <sighs> Oh my gosh, this guy, this guy. Look, he had to do it. I'm sure he didn't write a word of that. I assume his agents at CAA or WME or wherever he's represented, all his lawyers probably wrote that up. Well, what trash, I mean, what a trash statement and what a trash culture that would pillory him for this. And and they're still probably gonna make him lose his show because the left is vindictive. They don't forgive. He shouldn't have backed down from this. From a moral standpoint, he shouldn't have backed down. But just from a practical standpoint, it's never enough. Appeasement doesn't work 
with these sick leftists. These sick perverts are abusing children and are shooting them full of chemicals at age three and sexualizing them and changing their body chemistry and mutilating their bodies. They're sick perverts who should be locked up for life at least. And that's how we should talk about it. There's no end to this. This is gender ideology. And we, conservatives want to talk about this for the actual small, very small number of people who suffer from a psychological condition where they're confused about their biological sex. And we just want to be really nice and compassionate. Some people even want to indulge that delusion because it's sort of easier and seems polite. It's not about them. It actually isn't. The left isn't making this an issue because of them. The left is making this an issue because it is a radical power grab. It is not just a, a grab for political control or economic control or even cultural control. It is a power grab for ontological control, the control, the power to redefine reality itself. And these guys are vicious and vindictive. It's coming to a big tech platform near you. They are going to try to pass policies whereby if you call a man a man and that man thinks he's a woman, you will, you will be kicked off, you will be censored. If you say that a parent shouldn't pump their poor little kid full of hormones and mutilate their body, that you are some sort of bigot. It is, it is so perverse. It is so sick and disgusting. And there's no middle ground. There's no moderate. I know conservatives want to be conciliatory. I know Mario Lopez wants to keep his job. Sometimes the rubber meets the road, guys. You know, sometimes there's just a bridge too far. And this it's not about some sexual confusion in a small number of people. This is about a full-on onslaught attempt to redefine reality. And if conservatives don't stand for this, we don't stand for anything. Let's get to the mailbag in our remaining five or six minutes. From Eli, hey Michael, I love your show, thank you. Do you think it's possible to be a conservative and an atheist? Yes, I do think it's possible. I was a conservative and an atheist for about 10 years varying degrees of conservative, libertarian, or this or that. I just don't think it's possible to be really coherently conservative and an atheist because politics is downstream of culture and culture is downstream of religion. And that which we are conserving is Christian civilization. So I, I don't think it, that makes a whole lot of sense. The, the one, just as a, a practical matter, I think the way it breaks down is, I think if you are a hardcore evangelical atheist, I think if you're the sort of atheist who probably has a neck beard and like thinks that Richard Dawkins is a really smart philosopher and theologian and you know, you read a couple Christopher Hitchens columns once and you think you know anything. And you're, if you're the sort of person who refers to the Bible as a series of fairy tales, if you, I don't think then really you can be a conservative because conservatives need to have a respect and a reverence for our tradition. Conservatives need to have a sense of the sacred you know, even look, our national monuments in the United States, in Washington, D.C., I was just there last week. They're not just statues of Washington. They're not just a statue of, of Lincoln. They are full-on religious temples. The Washington Monument is an Egyptian religious obelisk. The, the Lincoln Memorial is a Greco-Roman temple, right, with, with Lincoln there as Zeus sitting in a chair. That is... The reason that we, we do that is because nations need to have a sense of the sacred. If you want to conserve something, you need to have a sense of the sacred. So if you are a sort of amiable atheist, 
If you're the kind of guy who has a respect for religious traditions, but you just can't bring yourself to believe, which by the way, I think is like most of the culture right now, I think of course you can be a conservative and I think you're going to be on your way to maybe not being an atheist anymore. But if you're that kind of hardcore, it's just, it's all completely wrong and bogus and everyone who ever lived before me is an idiot and I'm much smarter than Thomas Aquinas or Aristotle or somebody. If you, if you believe that, I just, I don't think you could ever have the humility or, or at the present you couldn't have the humility to, to be a conservative because the left is defined by pride and, and conservative thought is defined by humility. From Blake, can you name all the Democrat candidates without linking? There is uh, Dopey and Sleepy and Eric Swalwell and Donner and Cupid and Blitzen. I don't, I, I don't think I could. I, I, frankly, I don't think the other candidates could as well. During the last debate, there was a guy named Steve Bullock from Montana. I guess that guy's running for president. There's another guy, John Delaney. I guess he's running for president. What I'm doing, my favorite of the free edible candidates, his name is Tim Ryan. And he's just like, just the most pitiable, he's just obviously not going anywhere. I'm referring to all the candidates that I've never heard of as Tim Ryan. And it just really limits the field down. So you only need to remember about seven names and just call everyone else Tim Ryan. That's, that's what I would recommend uh, for, for you going forward, because it's not worth memorizing all of those names when most of them are going to be gone by the next debate. From Texas Fan, why isn't anyone talking about how Marianne Williamson has led many people astray with her promotion of the heretical Course in Miracles? Funny you should ask, Texas fan. I did that just yesterday. I think these mailbag questions came in yesterday. Uh, so check out my episode yesterday on dark psychic Democrats to uh, get a, a better take on that. From Mandy. Hey, Michael. As a woman of faith who has spent her entire marriage trying to start a family, there is something I have really been struggling to understand. Why do you think God allows so many women to conceive children who are just going to abort them? And I suspect the other side of that is why why are so many women not able to conceive or not able to conceive at the time that they want to conceive? What you're really asking is a, a very basic problem, which is why does God permit evil to exist? And the answer is because of the fall of man, because God gave man free will and man chose to disobey God's will and to, to follow his own will in contravention of God's desires. And Therefore, sin pervaded the world and death pervaded the world and evil has a foothold in this world and, and the devil is the prince of this world. And so the question you asked over why all these women can conceive just to abort the kids and why women who, who don't want to abort the kids can't conceive and I mean, it's the same question as why does a three-year-old get leukemia? It's the same question as why, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen at all? Uh, Obviously, we don't have time to go into the full topic of theodicy or the problem of evil. Good book on it is C.S. Lewis, The Problem of Pain, or Lewis, again, A Grief Observed. And those are just really good kind of lay books that can introduce you to the question, and there are more advanced books on it. But the, the simple answer, the Christian answer, is, is what we say at Easter, which is, if this is the greatest possible world, which I suspect it is, then what it means is that a world in which there is no free will is not as good as a world in which there is free will and incarnation and atonement and the resurrection. So it, it seems to me if we didn't have free will, if we didn't genuinely have the ability to deny God, 
and therefore allow sin and death to pervade the world, then we, what world would it be? You wouldn't even be conscious. I mean, it would just be a, a robot world. It would be like a, a computer simulation or something. But you do have free will. Freedom is a wonderful thing. And what you say on Easter is you, you celebrate the fall of man in a way. You say, oh great, oh happy fault that gave to us, that won for us so great and glorious a redeemer. Oh happy fault, oh felix culpa. We fell, we disobeyed God, that's awful, but it won for us so great and glorious a redeemer in the resurrection. That is the way to think of it. It doesn't deny the reality of suffering, it's, but it is a comfort. Comfort meaning it gives you strength and allows you to see the glory up ahead. Last question from GRVM. What is the origin of Ben Shapiro constantly ripping on you? That's a great question. And you'll have to tune into this week's Sunday special going to be the greatest Sunday special in the history of the Ben Shapiro Show Sunday special because it's going to feature little old me. So tune in then and I think we'll get the story of it there. All right, that's our show. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. See you on Monday. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Rebecca Dobkowitz, director Mike Joyner, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our senior producer is Jonathan Hay, supervising producer Mathis Glover, Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Editor, Danny D'Amico. Our audio mixer is Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey guys, over on the Matt Wall Show today, we're going to hit on some of the stories we missed uh, uh, this past week, starting with Mario Lopez. He said, uh, as you may have heard, that three-year-olds can't choose their own gender, and but he since almost immediately cowardly apologized for that. So we'll discuss the need in our culture for not just sanity, but also courage, which is, which is so sorely lacking. Also, is it racist for robots to be white? CNN has posed that very important question. And finally, scientists are trying to create human-monkey hybrids. We'll talk about the many moral problems with uh, something like that today over on The Matt Walsh Show.